I miss you all being here. I miss seeing you in person. But I'm going to imagine that you're here to the best of my ability while speaking to you in your homes this Sunday morning. I can see on this side, Ryan and Jessica and Ben and Sarah, Brandon and Meredith, and, and in front of me, Trisha and John, Jonathan and Abby and Heather and Scott may be there. And over there, my own family, Nathaniel, Catherine, Anna, if she's not working, which she is today. And then coming around to this side, the, the Latchaws and the Jakelskis and, and maybe Ramona. And everyone else further back, sometimes answering questions I ask, sometimes not. And I pray we'll be back together soon, God willing. Now, if you're like me, you're paying attention to news at the moment. I would say that my news intake has increased significantly over the past weeks. Maybe that's because there's less sport to watch or because there are less social or, or recreational activities, which means to me, news seems like a reasonable viewing option. Maybe you prefer particular news channels, or perhaps, as I do, you try to look at a mix of different news sources for different perspectives. For me, that means sometimes uh, MSNBC, sometimes Fox News, sometimes CNN, plus the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Wall Street Journal, plus the Drudge Reports and Breitbart, and, and even overseas publications, French ones, German, Japanese, Chinese, which Google is kind enough to translate for me and more recently, a few medical journals. Why? Because I'm trying to find the best information that describes the present situation. How, why, and where it all began. What's essential or recommended or not recommended. Masks, gloves, the, the best way to do grocery shopping, whether takeout is safe, the economic outlook, the latest data about transmission or treatment, including the development of antiviral treatments, testing developments for, for COVID-19 or COVID-19 antibodies, and of course, progress towards a workable vaccine. I, I don't remember day-to-day -day developments ever feeling so important, but never before has it been so confusing. So many expert opinions, so many opinions that are different. They contradict each other, they cancel each other out, they sling blame and label each other to be wrong or false whilst themselves claiming to be true or to be truth itself. They all say, every one of them, trust me, listen to me, I have the answer, I am reliable, I am wise, scientifically sound, educated, I have your best interests at heart, I more than someone else. And if you add social media news sources, then bloggers on social media platforms, the result is so much, so much noise that somehow, instead of helping, it works against clarity, against certainty, and against confidence. Now, without a doubt, these are difficult times, but I heard it mentioned a few days ago that in, in comparison to other significant events in history, even in just the last century, for example, the, the two years the 1918 pandemic lasted, World War I, which lasted four years, as did the Great Depression, the six years of World War II or eight years of the Vietnam War, that we are barely able to compare the 60-something days this has been upon us. And in difficult times, finding the, the thread of a direction to walk in, a path to follow that navigates through the difficulty and towards a hopeful outcome is important. Uh, that applies whether the difficult experience is because of, of weather-related disasters, war, or the fear of war, economic uncertainty, or something like the present health crisis that is compounding things with, with, with business closures, job losses, shortage of supplies, uh, isolation, and of course, significant numbers of people becoming ill or dying. 
plus the added pain of being unable to be with loved ones in their last moments, as has been the case even this past week for members of our own Grace Marietta community. And as the difficult time goes on, our grief, our loss, our sadness, our sense of helplessness and frustration gives rise to, to lots of questions and answers to every one of those questions are out there. Or more precisely, many things professing to be answers are out there. So as we continue in our present Stories from Exile Sunday series, looking at a difficult time in Israel's history, a time when God seemed to have forsaken his people, when their enemies had the upper hand, many of them had been killed and, and others taken away into captivity. They were no longer living in peace and prosperity in the land God had promised them, led them to, given to them. As we look to Israel's time of exile, we're looking for something helpful for us today. Something not just specific to, to their time, their location or situation, but relevant to us, necessary for us, essential for us. Now, our text this morning is taken from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, reading from verses 6 to the start of verse 9. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field from Hanamel. In the midst of exile, in the midst of the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, while he was imprisoned because of things he had said that the king found to be offensive, God spoke to Jeremiah and told him to do something, to buy property in a land that Jeremiah had prophesied uh, would be taken by the Babylonians, but that the Lord would return his people to. Jeremiah was to be an example. He had to put his money where his mouth was. He had to pay, the text goes on to say, for the deeds to the land. He had to do that in the presence of witnesses and seal those deeds in a, in a durable vessel, something able to keep them safe for a long time. And it was to be an additionally humbling experience for the prophet Jeremiah, for the man of God, because he then had to wait for God to fulfill his word, which God did. And we see the interesting statement in verse 8, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Then I knew, not because Jeremiah heard what he believed to be the voice of God, or because he told someone he had heard it, or because he added the phrase, the Lord said to me, or he amped that up to, thus saith the Lord. How did Jeremiah know it was the word of the Lord? Because the thing prophesied came to pass. There was a future-focused word that worked out exactly as God said it would. The word was fulfilled. It was precise enough, specific enough to be something that would happen or not happen. There was nothing vague about it. If his uncle's son, his nephew, had not shown up ever, or if he did show up but said nothing about buying the field, then, then what? Then it wasn't the word of the Lord. Jeremiah 28 verse 9 confirms that. It says there, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as the one whom the Lord has truly sent. And Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 22 says, says a similar thing. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Now, would it surprise you to hear that during the time of exile, 
In addition to the people we now recognize as prophets, there were, there were many other voices of apparent wisdom, the news of their day, the social media of their day. There were many who were saying things that were dressed up as prophecy, but was instead man-made, ordinary speech, speech that was uninspired, uninspiring, plain, not from God, plain. And that is the basis of my title this morning, The Plain and the Prophetic, because I want to distinguish between those two things. Speech that is plain, that's, that's ordinary, there's nothing special about it, even if it is dressed up as something more, and very different from that, the prophetic. And the Lord, through his prophets, had some things to say about those who were not speaking on his behalf, about their plain speech. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14, those who prophesy lies in my name, I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. In Jeremiah 23, verses 25 to 28, I have heard what the prophets who said, have said, who prophesy in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. They are prophets of the deceit of their own heart who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor. The prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. And there are similar things said elsewhere, including chapter 13 of the book of Ezekiel and Zechariah in chapter 10. Sometimes, as is described in 1 Kings chapter 22, which is part of the chronology of the Hebrew people, it is made clear the motivation for plain speech was to please people, to tell the people what they wanted to hear. The people want to be encouraged or to believe that all will be well or to be entertained. So give them a word that is encouraging and tell them that all will be well. Entertain them. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 10 is one example of, of the people saying to the prophets, and I, I'm going to paraphrase, don't prophesy to us right things. Speak to us smooth, pleasant, nice, flattering things, things that are easy on the ear. If necessary, prophesy deceits. And on occasions, as Micah chapter 3 describes, the motivation for plain speech was financial gain. Now, if you strip away the things that originate in our own imaginations or dreams that are not the Lord's dreams, or being people pleasers or entertainers, or the motivation of popularity or, or personal enrichment, then what's left? An uncomfortable place, maybe. A popular place. No, I don't think so. An unpopular place. But what if that is the place the people of God are called to inhabit? A place reserved for a people whose speech is not plain or ordinary or false or spoken because of the wrong motivation. But a people who speak prophetically, whose prophecy is, is like salt to a world that needs its flavor. Whose prophecy is like light to a world that needs its illumination to bring definition, to shine on everything that is gray and confusing and misleading. To show it for what it is, plain. To bring plain speech down from its elevated lofty place. To stop it strutting and parading itself. The prophetic that defines darkness and, and describes injustice and righteousness, not in a fake way, not in a vague or a weak way, but in a way that is authoritative because God affirms it, God backs it up, God brings it to pass in the same way he affirmed the prophets who spoke during the exile. I'm not going to pretend the prophetic is difficult, but plain speech is easy. 
It's easy to summarize facts or data, to say this is what those facts or that data or that science means plausibly, rationally, logically, persuasively, to say I see this or I think this or that, or, or to say that something someone else says about those same things is wrong. Plain speech also finds it easy to look at history and interpret that history with a, the benefit of hindsight, to give a clear, well-reasoned perspective on the past. But being accurate about the future, about what will happen or how and when that will happen is, is impossible without God. That's if God is willing to reveal that future, for the future belongs to him alone. Then, once you commit to the prophetic, you set yourself up to be right or to be wrong, with nowhere to escape. No excuses, no way to rewrite or to adjust or to explain away what you said. Whereas plain speech can always be excused or reinterpreted. That's not what I meant or what I actually meant to say was something else. And then comes the, the reinterpretation, the adjustment to shift to say something different. As a way to escape what the prophetic cannot escape from, which is accountability. Now, now the importance of the prophetic voice the importance of prophets is proved by the fact that there were so many of them during the time of exile. God spoke his word of direction, of encouragement, of correction in many ways over very many years. For God, the time of exile was not a time for speech that was plain. It was a time for, for increasing the prophetic voice. And so there were many prophets prophesying, speaking the word of the Lord to the people of God, but also speaking to their world also. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea and Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, and many others whose names didn't become books of the Bible, such as, such as Obed mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter, chapter 28, Huldah the prophetess mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 34, Micaiah, Mordecai, and many others referenced throughout books, including Esther. Uh, first and second kings and second chronicles each individually and all of them together representing an, an abundance of words for those willing to hear to hear clearly the lord's definition his description of their times the lord's why his how his how long prophetic speech not plain speech they spoke about why the exile happened how long the exile would last not vaguely but precisely describing how God's people would have lived during the exile. And importantly, they spoke messages of hope for restoration, for healing and wholeness, about the grace and about the mercy of God, things that were, are being, and will be fulfilled. The book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, chapter 14, verse 1, says that we should desire spiritual gifts, but especially that we may prophesy. Why? Well, verse 3 says that the prophetic word is for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Three things that were necessary during the time of exile. Three things that we are in desperate need of today. And verses 24, 25 of 1 Corinthians 14 continue to describe how prophecy performs a work beyond God's people, for it also convinces unbelievers and causes them to fall down on their faces and to, and to worship God and to report that God is truly amongst his people. God's people have always had a part to play, whether in seeing with understanding what God is doing or, or God is about to do, hearing what God is saying, or being the ones who, who interpret their times, or even the dreams that God gives to others. 
And there is a responsibility not only to, to discern the word of the Lord, but to communicate it, to not ignore it, but to wrestle, to apprehend it, and to discern it, not to sit on it, but to, to share it, to say it. So in closing, I have three points for you. Firstly, the church is called to have a prophetic voice. Secondly, if it is that instead of being prophetic, the voice of the church has become plain, is ordinary, has no distinction from the many world voices there are, and is incapable of saying with precision and with certainty that this is what God is doing or will do, then maybe it is time for the church to recognize its calling amidst this unusual season we're living in, to recognize the extent to which we may not be living up to that calling, and to ask God to open our eyes and give us grace to walk and live in that calling to the fullest extent possible. Thirdly, until God opens our eyes, may we be people who do what the book of James, a book written in a way that has the character of being New Testament prophecy, encourages us to do. In chapter 4, verse 17, because we do not know what tomorrow is or tomorrow will be, let us say, if the Lord wills, we shall live. If the Lord wills, we shall do this or do that, go here or go there. And let us be content in that place of humility before the Lord God Almighty, who alone holds the future. And let us pray that perhaps, God willing, the time for speaking that is plain is at an end. Jesus said that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. That's a, a present tense proceeds. Every living, life-giving, healing, transformative, grace and truth filled word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. As a reflection on what I have said today, I will leave you with two questions to consider. Question one is this. What is something God is presently saying to you? For yourself, your family, your community, or for the world? And question two is this. What is the community that helps you to co-discern what God is saying, including to listen or add to or contribute to or to clarify or to write things down?